Our scripture passage for today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verses 1 through 23. <clears throat> now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his, of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time he, that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and he had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into, <clears throat> into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among, among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Apologies for that little feedback there. Happy Father's Day, daddies. Good to see all of you wonderful fathers with your beautiful families. And of course, to the rest of you folks who are here, uh, we want to just say happy Father's Day. Hope you'll enjoy this day with your fathers. And for those of you who might not so much appreciate this day, just want to encourage and remind you of the Heavenly Father that you have who is here with and for you constantly and that today's message will be encouraging to you on that front. Would you now join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would now be with us as we sit at your feet to hear your word being publicly preached. We ask that you would encourage and lift us up and so that our countenance would not be downcast, but instead lifted up to the hope that we have because of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray that on this Lord's Day, which coincides with the honor of our fathers, that we would first and foremost give you the honor 
and then also honor you by honoring those who you have set before us to lead and to guide us, to love us. And we ask, O oh God, that you would truly minister to us no matter where we may be. We especially want to uh, pray for those who are visiting us as our guests. We pray that you will minister to them as well and that they would find the hope in the gospel message. We ask now that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, as a father of five, I'm always telling my children, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to try new things. Do not be afraid to meet new people. Do not be afraid to take the risk and to do the competition, to attempt the performance. Do not be afraid. And the reason why I'm always telling my kids this is because I know that fear could rob them of the good life. And I'm sure all of you in here would completely agree with me because I'm sure you can think back on your life where you allowed fear to get the better handle of you, robbing you of opportunities or possibilities of great blessings for you and your loved ones. Perhaps this is why more than ever in our culture, we're constantly told that fear is something to overcome, to conquer whenever it is imposing in your life. Do you guys recall how the great Jedi sage Yoda once spoke of fear? In episode one of The Phantom Menace, he once said these ominous words to a young Anakin Skywalker. He said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense great fear in you. The subtext is, don't be afraid. Fear is one of the primary forces that rob us of the good things in life. It can, in many ways, rob us of the good things in life. But notice what I just said. I didn't say that it will always rob us of the good life, but it could. And the reason why I make this distinction is because there is in existence a particular kind of fear that is unlike any other, because this fear does the complete opposite of what other fears do because this fear instead of robbing us of the good life protects us to have a good life and what fear is this i'm speaking of the fear of god the fear of god more than anything will protect you and your loved ones of having a good life especially when it comes to your family life and you're probably thinking how does that work well i'll explain but first we're continuing our sermon series the gospel according to the family life of joseph and the whole point of this series is to consider how the message of the gospel empowers our families to transform from being beaten and broken into becoming a blessed and benefiting source to the world that you and i live in and today we're going to see how the fear of god blesses families how by protecting us from the primary forces that seek to destroy our families incessantly. And so with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you regarding the fear of God and how it impacts our families. Number one, we're going to talk about how the fear of God protects you from seductive success. How the fear of God protects you from seductive success. Number two, the fear of God protects you from abusive authority. And finally, we're going to end it how the fear of God proceeds from the Savior God. The three things that the fear of God teaches us in our passage is that it protects you from seductive success, it protects you from abusive authority, and finally, it proceeds from the Savior God. Let's begin with the first point. The fear of God protects you from seductive success. Read again with me verse 1 of our passage where it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Okay, quick synopsis. In this part of our story, Joseph, the youngest son of Jacob, has just been sold into slavery by none other than his own brothers. Why? Because of their massive hatred of him. If this is your first Sunday with us and you're not familiar with this story, just go home tonight and read Genesis chapter 30 
37, or you can just listen to the first two sermons in this series. But just to bring our attention back to our passage for today, chapter 39, here we see after being sold to the Ishmaelites and trafficked over into Egypt, Joseph is once again sold to his new master, a man by the name of Potiphar that our text describes as the captain of the guard. The captain of the guard. Now at first, that kind of title doesn't sound too seemingly impressive to us. But consider this crucial background information from Bible scholar Alfred Edersham. He says this, quote, Potiphar's office at the court of Pharaoh was that of chief of the executioners, most probably captain of the king's bodyguard, end quote. Yeah. All this to say, Potiphar was not some no-name average Joe Schmo of Egypt. No, this is a man of high renown. This is a high official in Pharaoh's court, meaning he is a person of power, a person of prestige, a person of prominence. And no doubt, as Joseph, who is this young lad from this no-name nomadic family, would have been highly intimidated as he's walking the halls of one of the richest people of the most powerful nation on earth at the time, Egypt. But consider what our passage says in terms of how Joseph handled himself in that situation. Starting in verse 2, we read, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field so he left all that he had in joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything except for the food that he ate wow joseph you've done some good and indeed he did here is this young kid who hardly has any working experience because his father spoiled him so much making him the most inexperienced slave in all of potiphar's household and yet somehow some way he was able to ascend and rise to the most second powerful position of this organization now, folks, do you know what that's called? That's called the X Factor. And no, I'm not talking about that talent show on NBC. I'm talking about that incredible skill, that incredible talent that cannot be explained, that cannot be replicated or duplicated. It can only be marveled. Think Whitney Houston. Think Dave Chappelle. Think Elon Musk. Think Steve Jobs. And then you get a sense of the way in which Joseph was perceived in the household of Potiphar. You see, in the eyes of many, Joseph was an amazing, astounding person. And it's highly likely that he, in his own eyes, could have seen himself in that way. Why? Because when you achieve that level of success, it is so easy to be tempted to believe that you are a big deal and therefore be seduced by your own success. Now, how do I know that was what's happening to Joseph? Because of the fact that somebody literally tried to seduce him. And not just any somebody, but the one somebody whose seduction would match the level of success that he was enjoying. Listen again, starting in the middle of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now when most people read these words, they think that Potiphar's wife has a poor case of lust at first sight, as if she's just kind of moseying around, minding her own business, when lo and behold she sees Joseph and she goes, Ooh, mama like, mama like, who are you? What's your name? Right? But let me tell you right now, that's not what's happening at all. This is not what's happening. How do I know? Listen again to how it says in verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. 
You see that phrase, after a time? That phrase tells us that her attraction to Joseph was not because of some immediate first encounter thing. No, her attraction to Joseph built up. It had to grow, which means her attraction to Joseph was more because of his abilities rather than his appearance, more because of his skills than his stunning features. And because that is so, that also means that when she was offering herself to Joseph, this was not simply an opportunity to indulge in the sensual. No, it was an opportunity to increase in status. Remember who she is. This is the boss's wife. She is married to the one person who is over and above Joseph. He is the top dog. And if Joseph gave in to her suggestions, her seductive suggestions, what a perfect trophy Joseph would have that would show his unquestioned superiority over everyone, including Potiphar himself. Now let's just pause for just a moment and make one obvious application point, And that is simply this. Success can seduce you into ruining your family. Let me say that again. Success can seduce you into ruining your family. Now, by saying this, I'm not in any way implying that being successful is wrong or evil in and of itself. But what I am saying is that when you become successful, you do attract the attention of those who do not care about your family and have no concern for for your family, evidenced by the destructive thing they want to offer you in their seduction of you. Let me give you an example. Back in 1989, there was a movie called Dad. Father's Day, it makes sense to reference this illustration. It's simply called Dad. And it centers around this 40-something CEO, very successful businessman of a Fortune 500 company. And the movie starts off, you don't need to put the quote up yet. The movie starts off, just want to steal my thunder here. The movie starts off uh, with this CEO realizing that his elderly father is dying of cancer. And as the movie progresses, we come to find that he himself is a dad. Yeah, but the thing is, in order for him to be the successful CEO that he is, he had to first leave his wife and abandon his son, who was a toddler at the time. Later on, he reunites with his estranged son, who is now a young man in his 20s. And in a sobering moment, he asks his father, Dad, why was making money more important to you than either me or mom? And at first... The dad gives him a very shallow, superficial response. But when it was clear that the son wasn't going to have it, at least not this time, the father was honest and said these sobering words. Now we can put the quote up. He says this, because I like the power of it. I like being the guy who got the job done, the guy everybody comes to, and something had to give, and it was my family, end quote. Here is a man who was seduced by his own success. It wasn't the same kind of seduction that Joseph was facing in our passage, but nevertheless, it was a seduction of success. You see, regardless of its manifestation, whether it's a seduction of sex, a seduction of money, seduction of power, at its core, they're all doing the same thing. It's tempting you to believe that because of your success, you are the supreme. You are the superior one. You are second to none. There is no one who is as good and as great as you. That is what the father in this movie believed because of his success. That's what Joseph was being tempted to believe by the seduction of Potiphar's wife. But here's the question. Does Joseph give in to this kind of seductive temptress? Listen to what it says, starting in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph clearly would not believe the lie that Potiphar's wife was trying to convince him was true through her seduction of him. He refused to believe that he was second to none, superior and the greatest. Why? Because he feared God. Listen again to his question in verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Underlying that question is the belief that Joseph knew there was someone far superior to him, someone far more supreme, someone who was truly second to none, and he was the person he feared. And it wasn't himself, it was God. He feared God. And because he feared God, he wouldn't dare destroy an institution that God created in his holiness, namely the family. In this instance, Potiphar's family. See, this is what the fear of God does. It protects the persons from being seduced by their own success that would end up harming family, either your own family or the family of those that you're called to care for or be responsible for. Now, it's at this point you might think, wow, Joseph just dodged a major bullet. He must now be out of the woods. He must now be safe and sound. But no, unfortunately, that's not the case. Because as we'll see in a moment, he is going to need to rely on the fear of God once again to protect him from another destructive force that jeopardizes families today. And to tell you what that is, let me go to my next point. The fear of God protects you from abusive authority. Let's pick it up where we left off. Starting in verse 10, we read, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the home was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Okay, so things are not turning so good for Joseph, okay? What starts off as a seductive option and suggestion quickly mutates and escalates to him being the victim of abusive authority. Now, I think it would do us well to just linger on this situation here because I think it teaches us something that so often we miss. And it's this idea. Success always comes with a high cost. Success always comes with a high cost. You know, you and I are living in a culture that teaches us that the most important thing in your life is to be a success. That the most Crucial thing that you must do is achieve great things to where you're the next big deal, where your reputation precedes you and you're raved about with the most views, the most likes, the most followers. But here's the thing that our culture doesn't teach us is that when you are successful in this world, you eventually are going to have to pay a high cost. Hear me when I say this. If you ever aspire to be successful in this life, you have to mentally prepare yourself of having to pay a cost for that success in the form of facing daunting challenges that you would never have to face if you were not successful. We see that happening with Joseph right now. His success is causing him of having to face the daunting challenge of coming under abusive authority. Abusive authority. You know, so often when we read this passage, we tend to think that it's simply a lesson on how to overcome temptation. But that's not really the main idea. No, the main idea of this passage is to see how Joseph is able to overcome being a chronic victim of abuse. Because that's really Joseph's life. All throughout his adult life, he was always being victimized uh, by an abuser. He was first victimized by the abuse of his older brothers that resulted in him being sold as a slave. And now he is being victimized by the abuse of Potiphar's wife's authority in the form of her sexual harassment of him. Sexual harassment? Yes, sexual harassment consider these words from old testament scholar ian duguid he says quote this story is a lot more like an attempted rape than a seduction 
After all, Joseph is the beautiful one, not Potiphar's wife. And she doesn't allure him with honeyed words. She simply commanded Joseph, come to bed with me. It was not a request. It was a demand. It was spoken in the same tone of voice that she would use in telling him to straighten the chairs or dust the furniture. He was a slave. She was the mistress. This is the temptation that comes when someone in power over you tells you to deny your beliefs or suffer the consequences. It may be an employer who threatens to fire you or an abusive family member who will subject you to physical or emotional hurt if you do not do what he says, end quote. Here, Joseph's success directly led him into a situation where he became victimized by someone abusing their authority over him. And it was at that moment he had one of two options in terms of how he would view himself, which in turn would determine his next action. Option number one is to see himself as the helpless victim, where he essentially feels like he has no choice but just to do whatever his mistress demands. Even though that meant he would have to disobey God, even though that meant he would jeopardize and threaten a safe family, Potiphar's family. But of course, in this kind of mindset, people who think this way tend to excuse their sins because they say something to the effect of, well, I'm the powerless one in this power dynamic, so I can't be held responsible for for doing this thing. This person who's over and above me is making me do this. I have no choice. I have no options. I must do this thing. That is the mindset of the helpless victim. But then you have another option of how Joseph could see himself, and that is that of a hopeful victim where in this situation he would see Potiphar's wife as a real threat, yes, but not to the same level of threat to where he would feel so obligated to obey her at all costs, even if it means compromising himself. Guess which option Joseph chose? He chose the second option. He refuses to see himself as a helpless victim, but instead as a hopeful victim. How did he do that? The answer, because of his fear of God. You see, the fear of God, as I said in my first point, protects us from seeing ourselves as being the supreme, superior one, second to none. But it turns out that the fear of God also protects us from seeing another human being as being the supreme, the superior one, and second to none. You see? By Joseph fearing God the way that he did, it protected him from fearing Potiphar's wife with what the Bible calls the fear of man. The fear of man. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with that term, fear of man, but you might not have been told what that actually means. So just to ensure we're on the same page, consider this explanation from biblical counselor Ed Welch. He says this, quote, All experiences of the fear of man share at least one common feature. People are big. They have grown to idolatrous proportions in our lives. They control us since there is no room in our hearts to worship both God and people. Whenever people are big, God is not, end quote. What's he saying? He's saying that the fear of man is when you're deceived into thinking that another person, another human being, has the authority, has the power over you the way God has the authority and power over you to where you feel like you have nowhere to go, nowhere to run, but just to do whatever this person demands. That's what Potiphar's wife was trying to fool Joseph into believing. In a sense, she was telling Joseph, look, Joe, as far as you're concerned, I am your God. And you better do whatever I divinely desire or you're going to suffer my divine wrath. Here's the question. Would Joseph submit to that kind of authority? Read again. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. What did Joseph do? He literally ran away, right? Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that he did not see himself as a helpless victim, 
Because do you know what a person who thinks they're a helpless victim thinks? They think, I got nowhere to run. I got nowhere to turn. There's nowhere for me to go. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. There's nothing for me to do except for what this person has cornered me to do. And therefore, I must do it. The fact that Joseph ran, as ironic as it sounds, shows that he was not afraid of Potiphar's wife the way she wanted him to fear her. You see? Because he had the fear of the Lord. Now, here's the application point. There are a lot of people out there in this world who are just like Potiphar's wife. And they will come into your life if they haven't already. They come in the form of a school bully. They come in the form of an overreaching boss making unreasonable demands of your life. They come in the form of an abusive parent. They come in the form of a corrupt police officer. They come in the form of a narcissistic pastor. And if you do not have a growing, genuine fear of God, you will become easily victimized by their deceptive and manipulative tactics. And the people who are going to suffer because of your willingness to submit to that kind of abusive authority is your family. Your family. I recently finished a podcast by Christianity Today entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And I don't really recommend it unless you're a pastor or leader of a church. But basically it's about this very narcissistic, abusive pastor in Seattle who had a church that was very huge and growing. I was actually pastoring in Seattle during this time. And yeah, they were huge. They were everywhere. But what this podcast reveals is that because of this pastor's abusive authority, he destroyed the church from the inside out. It imploded. And in the podcast, they interviewed a wide range of people who were involved with this organization. Volunteers, fellow pastors, you know, wives of pastors, worship leaders, you know, people who came to faith. And one recurring theme that emerges out of all the stories that were told is how families were destroyed. If there was any demographic that were the victims of this story, it was the families. Marriages fell apart that ended with divorce or adultery. Pastors lost their jobs, unable to feed their families. Children who were PKs hated the church and no longer identified themselves as Christians. Worship leaders who feel like they don't believe in Christianity anymore and now their wives who are still believers have this rift with their husbands. Families over and over are the first victims of situations of abuse when a person abused their authority, you see. And the only thing that can protect that kind of tragedy from happening is when the people who are in positions of submitting to such authority does not because they fear the Lord. The same fear of God that also protects them from being seduced by their own success. And so here's the question. How do we develop that kind of fear of God. Well, the answer leads me to my final point. The fear of God proceeds from the Savior God. Let's finish it off by looking at the last section of our passage, starting in verse 19. We read, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So, In the aftermath of rejecting his mistress, Potiphar's wife is furious and she is enraged. And at that moment, she says, I need to punish this person, this Joseph. Because remember who she is. She is the wife of the esteemed Potiphar. She is not the kind of person who is told no. And so she is now going to make it her mission to destroy this boy's life. How? Because she tells her husband that Joseph attempted to rape her when, in fact, it was the other way around. And so here's a question. 
What is Potiphar going to do? Verse 20, he threw Joseph into prison. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Some Bible commentators think that by throwing Joseph into prison, that was basically Potiphar's way of communicating that he didn't really believe his wife. Because these scholars argue that if he really believed his wife, he would have executed Joseph right then and there, right? No doubt, without a blink of an eye, whoosh, just kill him, right? But here's the problem with that interpretation. Look again at what it says in verse 19. <clears throat> Potiphar's reaction to his wife's accusation is what? His anger was kindled. That word kindle has that same connotation of blood-curdling anger. So clearly the text shows us that he believed his wife over against what Joseph would say in defense of himself. And so here's the question. Why then does he not kill Joseph right then and there, but instead put him into prison? Remember who Potiphar is. He is the captain of the guard. He has a lot of power, and he can do whatever he wants to Joseph, which he does. Where does he put Joseph? He puts him in the prison of the king's prisoners. Let me ask you, out of all the prisoners of Egypt, which prisoners do you think had it the worst? The regular prisoners or the prisoners of the king? The prisoners of the king, right? They were the ones who were beaten, brutalized, tortured, torn apart, literally, because they were the ones who had to be most made an example of because they personally offended the most important person of Egypt, Pharaoh himself, the king. Potiphar put Joseph there. You see, sometimes when a person is really, really angry and furious, a quick execution, that's not satisfying enough. No. A person who is really fueled with wrath and rage will only be satisfied if he can prolong the pain, the misery, the torturous agony of a person who did them wrong, right? That's exactly what Potiphar was trying to do to Joseph. And here's what's so delicious for him. He didn't have to do the dirty work himself. He can get his own men, his own guards, to do his dirty work for him. And that was what he was planning to do. But lo and behold, listen to what it says, starting in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him honor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. Joseph is getting a fresh supply of the fear of God. Let me explain. <clears throat> Even though Joseph throughout his life was bombarded with constant instances of being tempted or being troubled with trials, not once, not once does he give in to any of it. Why? Because he feared the Lord. He feared God. And why did he fear God? The text tells us the same answer. Because the Lord was with Joseph. We read that phrase over and over throughout Joseph's narrative. The Lord was with Joseph when his brothers threw him into the pit. The Lord was with Joseph when he was sold into Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph when Potiphar threw him into the king's prison. You see, because Joseph was aware that God was with him, his perception of God was that you are the most powerful person of all, more than any other person around me. I mean, look at Joseph's situation. He is in a situation where the guards, whose own boss, Potiphar, ordered them to do their worst to Joseph. And yet somehow, someway, God was able to override Potiphar's orders in the heart of these men to where they started treating Joseph the exact opposite of what Potiphar demanded. They treated him with kindness, with favor. Joseph is witnessing firsthand how God has greater authority, greater power, greater reach than even Potiphar himself. And as a result, his fear of God grew. Whereas a result, people became small, God became big, rather than people being big and God being small. And here's the thing, Christian. This same growing fear of God can also be in your life. How? By believing the gospel message. What is the gospel? 
The gospel is the message that says you and I are wretched, wicked, selfish sinners. Because unlike Joseph, we do not fear God. Represented by the fact that you and I are constantly being seduced by our success. Given by the fact that we easily obey abusive authority instead of resisting it. Causing our families to suffer the consequences. And God had every right to do way worse to us than what Potiphar did to Joseph. Because God could have sent us to the worst prison of all. The cosmic prison that is known as hell. But God chose not to do that. Instead, he comes into the world as a human being, Jesus Christ. Why? So he could suffer our imprisonment for us by dying on the cross as our Savior substitute. To where if you turn away from your sins and make Christ your Lord, you are set free from that cosmic sentence of having to go to the worst pit of prison of all. You see? And when you understand that all of this is because of his merciful, gracious love for you, that love is going to cause you to marvel at the power of your God, the power of his love for you that causes him to become bigger and bigger in your eyes and yourself and the people around you, smaller, smaller, and smaller. This is how we grow in our fear of God, by marveling at the power, the astounding power of God's merciful, forgiving love for us. And the more we grow in this fear, the more we refuse to believe the hype that we are a big deal because of our success. The more we refuse to believe that this person or that person is really your God because they attempt to provoke you with threats and intimidation. No, you can keep your place and maintain your character, maintain your integrity, thereby protecting your family from the disruption that would occur if you did get seduced by your success, if you did submit to abusive authority and not fight back. You see, the fear of God is only created and cultivated through your understanding and your acceptance of the gospel message of God's powerful love for you in Christ Jesus. So families, fathers especially, do you fear the Lord? Are you ensuring the safety and well-being of your family by ensuring that whatever success God blesses you with, you're not letting it get to your head, causing you to think you're better than you are? Are you ensuring that as you live out your call, that you're not letting the people of authority over you to abuse their authority against you and harm your family? If your answer is no, it's time now to go back to the gospel, to believe it once again, thereby fortifying the safety of your family by growing in your fear of God. I pray that all of us, but fathers especially, will keep that in mind as they move forward, moving on, and leading their families well. Let's pray. Father, as we think about on this Father's Day about what it means to be a father, as we think about what it means to be a member of our families, we ask that we would be sure that we are doing our part in growing in our fear of the Lord. Because, Lord, we know that it is only when we properly fear you that our families are protected. It is protected from the lies of the seduction of success. It is protected from the lies of those who attempt to abuse their authority over us. It protects our families of being able to make sure that we put you first and not anything or anyone else that is not God. Lord, our families are so precious to you, and they are um, a beautiful ministry that you have given to us uh, to be a part of. We pray that we would serve you well by serving these families, by first and foremost growing in our fear of you, by believing in the powerful message of the powerful love of God 
in Jesus Christ. Help us to do that now, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 